The reading tonight is uh, from the book of John, uh, chapter 15, verses 18 to 16, verse 15, and Red Bible, page 699. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I, have not, if I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have sinned and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counsellor comes, the one I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been made with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told, you, told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counsellor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Well, good evening all. Once again, I'm just going to move this over to the side. As I said before, I apologise if I do move around a lot. That's just in my nature, it's in the man gene. Uh, Chris is actually my cousin, he forgot to mention that, so we are cousins. Uh, Our dads are brothers, so we get the privilege of uh, being at Christmas together every year and playing ping pong. Uh, And Chris usually beats me at that, so it's hard to stomach. Uh, But before I get into it, um, I just want to say, working at Arndell, I've seen glimpses of the impact that this church is having in the Hawkesbury. Uh, And be encouraged, I want to encourage you to start off with because... This church is doing amazing things, and God is doing amazing things through this church. It is a privilege that I'm a privilege uh, for me to to speak here tonight. Um, I do 
see it as a privilege because um, I get to share in, in the impact that you guys are having, that God is having through the Hawkesbury, through Pitt Town. So well done. Thank you so much for the work that you are doing. And know that's not in vain because God is using it. And it's, God is going to do big things in the Hawkesbury. I'm believing for that for sure. Um, so before I start, again, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt totally unprepared? Like totally not ready for anything that is going to happen? Felt absolutely unprepared for a task at hand, whatever it is. You know, possibly uh, there's a few year 12s in here. It could be an exam. You study the night before. You're cramming. You've got your notes. You're doing all this study, and then you get to the morning. I've got, yeah, this is awesome. I'm killing it. Get to the exam hall. You rock up, and then you're, you're talking to all your friends, and they're talking about the content, and it just dawns on you. Yeah, oh my goodness, I've got nothing. I have no idea what's going on. Exams are one area where we can feel unprepared. Another area sometimes is, is job interviews. Possibly you may have been walking into a job interview and it, one question just throws you off. You know, you, you're prepared, you, you think, oh, they're going to ask me about this, they're going to ask me about this. But then maybe they ask you what kind of dog you would be and why or something like that. Uh, true story, I was in a job interview, not for Arndell, but a different one. Uh, it was for a chaplaincy position, and the, the question they asked me is, is uh, if, if you're a character of the Bible, what character would that be? And I'm thinking, I'm a chaplain, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to become a chaplain, I can't stuff this up, I can't say Jesus, that's arrogant. And so I, I said something, I think I said David, I was like, David, because, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm a man after God's own heart, but I was, I'd stuff up, but when I do... I like to think I'll go straight back to God. I thought I nailed that. Turns out I didn't get the job, so I didn't, didn't nail that at all. But there's situations in life where we just feel unprepared. It could be exams, it could be job interviews, or more, more importantly, it actually could be a turn in your health, and you're feeling like you're not ready to tackle that yet, or you're not, you're not prepared at all to, to deal with what life throws at you sometimes. And all of a sudden, when, when life seems out of control, when life seems unpredictable, simple questions are hard and su- situations feel like they're not going to get any better. Because feeling unprepared is absolutely terrible. We never like to feel unprepared for anything in life. And now there are a few situations I've already mentioned that where I've felt a little unprepared. Uh, immediately, one that comes to mind is... When I, when I was going for my license, so I went for my license on, in an automatic car. I failed the first time. I thought I was prepared. Obviously, wasn't. Got it the second time, and it was awesome. But I got my red P's on my automatic license, which means I quit, can't drive a manual until I get to my green P's. And I, didn't, I didn't really mind. I was r- chilling out in this little black Mazda. It had a number plate zip, so we called it Zippy, and we're zipping around. Got to school every day, and my friends would be like, Josh... You're driving an automatic. Guys don't drive automatics. And every single day, I, I'd cop it. I'd say, they'd say, oh, you're a girl. You can't drive that, blah, 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 blah. And I was okay. I was okay with that. I expected that at, at school. But then a year later, when my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she got her license, and she got it on a manual car. And all of a sudden, it just got, <laughs> the digs are getting sharper and sharper. Six months later... My sister switched from automatic to manual, and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I can feel my masculinity just seeping out of me. So one day I got up, and I said, Beck and Jamie, can, can you teach me to drive manual? And they're like, sure, it's easy. You'll be right. You'll, be, you'll nail it. And I thought I could nail it. 
And so I rocked up. We got into the car, a little purple car. It's not very masculine. It was, it was manual, though. Anyway, we uh, started driving, and I was going down the street. Uh, first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear, nailing it. It's just like an automatic at this stage. Then we got to the end of our street. Right at the end, it was a bit of a cul-de-sac, and I had to stop and do a three-point turn. So I moved down the gears. I stopped. Deep breath. Went back. That was fine. First point done. Second point done. And then came the, uh, the freightful uh, third point of the three-point turn. Put it back into reverse. And as I was leading the clutch out, bang, 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 bang. The car did heaps of bunny hops. And I was just sitting there staring. I remember vividly. This feeling is just, oh, oh. I remember staring at the steering wheel, just feeling so frustrated. But to top it all off, I was looking around. Jamie, my sister in the back seat, was laughing at me. My girlfriend in the front seat was trying to keep me calm. And I was just like, ugh, ugh. And I look up, and the top of a driveway, there's a six-year-old girl. And she's playing with a ball, and that's fine. She was loving that. But as she saw me stall, she looked across, she pointed at me, and she started laughing. <laughs> and at that moment, I don't know what happened. I'm not really proud of what I said, but I, just pure rage. I just looked at her. I was like, what are you looking at? Why don't you come here and try it? I just yelled at a six-year-old girl, and I'm not proud of it. But at that moment, at that moment, I definitely wasn't prepared to cop the criticism of a six-year-old girl. But throughout that lesson, I wasn't prepared to drive manual. At that point in my life, I wasn't prepared. And, and feeling unprepared, as I said, is one of the worst feelings we can experience. And I'm sure all of us here tonight have experienced this feeling at one way or another whether it's work, school, or your health, sometimes, you know, things in life just don't add up. They're just, you just don't expect some things. But is it possible that these feelings of being un unprepared or being unexpected is, is linking to your spiritual life? You know, maybe previously you've been solid and you're, you've been on fire for God and you've been rocking up to work, telling everyone about God to school and, and preaching His Word and then something has happened. Maybe at uh, uh, a vent in your life and suddenly you just seem distant from God. Suddenly when everything was going well, an unexpected turn happened and you just weren't ready for it. And sometimes God can just seem a little distant when unexpected things happen. Well, first of all, let me encourage you that if you are feeling like that tonight, and as Christians, we, we always go through that. There's ebbs and flows in our Christian walk, and that's normal. But let me encourage you that as humans, sometimes we may feel unprepared. But our God always has it under control every single time. In fact, the passage that we're learning from tonight that was read out just before, Jesus explicitly explains this fact. He's sitting with disciples, chatting to them, imparting his final words of wisdom before he will eventually get arrested, be hung up on a cross, be killed, and then rise again. And so he's imparting his final words of wisdom to his, his followers. And at this moment, in my opinion, Jesus proclaims the greatest pre-match address you will ever hear in your life. As I said, I love my sport, and so I had to chuck a sport analogy in there. Um, before every match, whether what sport you're playing or, you, or not, you know, before every match, you need to know three things. What are you playing? Why you're playing it? And then how to win. 
Three things you need to know before any sporting match. And if you don't play sport, surely you can appreciate that you need to know these things in order to, to play the game. You need to know what you're playing, why you're playing it, and then how do we win. And so with these three things, this passage tonight, Jesus describes the most perfect game plan for his followers. He's chatting to his disciples, but we can take so much out of this because we are following Christ as we speak as well. So yes, he's chatting to his disciples, but it's a game plan for our lives as well. Because at the end of the day, you need to be prepared for the match. So number one, what are we playing? You know, it's pretty obvious that in any sporting match, in order to succeed, you need to know exactly what sport you're playing. I played AFL this morning, rocked up at 11 a.m., and I knew exactly what sport I was playing. I didn't park my car, open the door and go, oh, am I playing soccer or AFL today? I knew exactly what I was playing. More than that, I knew who my opposition were, Penrith. We beat them, a bit of a crosstown rival. Uh, and I knew exactly who I was going, the, the opposition, the, the player I was playing against, number 16. Didn't kick any goals, win. Anyway, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly who I was playing and why I was playing it. Because we need to know exactly what to expect. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples in John 15. He's telling his disciples exactly what to expect when he leaves this earth. When he is killed, when he rises again, and when he eventually ascends into heaven. John 15 verse 18 is where we're going to pick it up. He says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. In this verse, it's pretty clear that Jesus is stating that there's going to be a time where his followers will be challenged and questioned about their faith. They're going to be challenged because of their faith, because they believe in Jesus. In fact, John again, in his letter 1 John, re references this phrase. And in 1 John 3.13, he says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You see, Jesus in John 15, 18, and then John again, they're literally pointing out that, that we will face opposition. It's a clear warning to us. We are going to be hated because of what we believe. There's going to be people who have a problem with what we believe. Jesus is stating exactly what opposition his followers are going to be up against. And, you know, he doesn't want his followers to, to hide away from that. He doesn't want to hide from them the fact that, you know, as Christians, it's going to be kind of tough. And I don't think he should. And I think one of, the, one of the downfalls of modern Christianity is the belief that people have that, that Christianity is going to solve all our problems on this earth. That's simply not true. Christianity cannot solve every single problem on this earth because life is messy. Life is so messy. And as Christians, sometimes we can't escape that. In fact, what Jesus is saying here is sometimes life can get harder as a Christian. That's explicitly what he's saying in this verse. And because of this, the temptation we have is to water down our beliefs. The temptation we face as Christians is to water down our faith and avoid that conflict. John 15, 19 to 20. If, I, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. 
That is why the world hates you. See, here Jesus is explaining why people are going to hate his followers. Plain and simple, he explains that people will hate you because they hated him first. But more than that, look at verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. This is the temptation we all face. Sometimes it's easier to go along with what the world is doing in order to avoid the conflict. Sometimes it's easier to go along with what your friends are doing in order to, to avoid that awkwardness. You know, when, when someone at work asks you what you did on the weekend, it's easier to skip over the fact that you went to church. Or at school, when someone asks your opinion on things and your opinion on sex before marriage, your opinion on abortion and things like this, it's easier to go along with the majority to avoid this conflict. But that's not what we're called to do as Christians. In fact, Jesus explains this in verse 20. You do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. Look back at verse at verse 16. If you look back to verse 16 of this chapter, Jesus first explains to his disciples that they have been set apart, that he has chosen them specifically out of the world, set them apart so that they may proclaim the message and bear fruit. As Christians, we're not meant to fit in 100% of the time. In fact, 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy because I am holy. As Christians, we're called to be holy, and this means, legitimately means, set apart. It literally means that we must look different to the world. Our opinions are going to be different than what the world says. Our actions must be different than what the world acts and how they live their lives. But when we do it, it's going to come with hardship. And it's, and it's for this exact reason why Jesus is warning his disciples. He's saying, as a Christian, we are called to suffer for the gospel. By putting your hand up and saying, I'm a Christian, I want to follow God, people are going to take offense to that. People are not going to fill you with encouragement every single day. In fact, as I said, as Christians, sometimes we're called to suffer for the gospel. But please be encouraged because Jesus suffered first so that our suffering won't last. And that's the promise we have. Jesus suffered first so that our suffering won't last. So the first part of the game plan was to explain what to expect. The second part of the plan is to explain why. Jesus explains why we as Christians should expect this. And so number two, why are we playing it? And you see, most coaches can tell you what is going to happen, but only the best coaches, only the best sporting coaches can tell you why it's going to happen like that. Coaching and teaching, pretty similar in my books. And when I'm in, in year seven, I was sitting in a math, math, math lesson, and we're doing algebra, I think. There's letters and numbers, and you've got to pair them together, and it was weird. And I put up my hand, and I tried to be this, the smart aleck in the class, and I said, sir, why do we need to learn this? Why do we need to learn how numbers and letters go together and what A squared plus B squared is and all this mumbo jumbo? I couldn't get a straight answer. Yes, he, in my year seven teacher, he mumbled through an answer and just said, oh, you, you just need to know the relationship between numbers and letters and how they all work together. And 
I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really sufficed with that. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Nine and ten rolls around, same thing, ask the same question. My math teachers, again, fumbled around. But then year 11, end of year 11, start of year 12, I put my hand up and said, so why do we have to know this? Yes, it's for the HSC, but why does this matter in my life? And he goes, well, in the, in the general maths course, we learn about tax, we learn about interest, we learn all these things that are actually going to help you when you finish school. And that was the only time, only time I realized why we needed to learn maths. Because as teachers, sometimes we're, we're really good at telling people what to do, but we're not so good at telling them why we need to do it. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, on the other hand, he tells his disciples exactly why they're going to face this hardship. John 15, 22 to 24. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, why they would not be guilty of sin. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Jesus is saying to his disciples that people will hate them because Jesus illuminates the sin of the world. People hated Jesus because he illuminated their sin. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he did amazing miracles. And at that point, people were flocking to him. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't get enough of him. They wanted to just touch him in order to get healed. But then... He also very eloquently and, and very lovingly told them about their sin, told the world that, that we are sinful. And G if Jesus did not do this, these people would have no excuse to hate him, would have no reason to hate him. It doesn't make sense that Jesus is telling us exactly why we should expect this hardship. Because the world hates being told that they're sinful. In 2018, you can't tell anyone they're wrong. And so when, you, when we're proclaiming a message that we are all sinful, there's going to be people that are upset. And it's not just the world that, that gets upset when people tell them what to do. I think we all hate being told what to do. We hate being told that there's an error in our life that we have to change. So it's no surprise why people are going to get fairly angry. When we talk about sin and we talk about its impact for eternity, people are going to get upset. But why as Christians do we go, get, get so upset when someone illuminates our sin? Why as Christians do we get all caught in a half and a puff because people come up to us, hey man, I, I noticed this at a party, or I noticed this is how you've been speaking. I see it all the time, and even in my own life, someone comes up to me and we're so easy to defend, to, to defend ourselves. We're so easy to say, no, 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 it's fine, I'll be right. I'll be right. As Christians, why do we get so de defensive about our sin? Look at Ephesians 5, 8 and 11. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. And then verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. As Christians, we're called to step out of the darkness of our sin and into the light of redemption. We shouldn't be ashamed to share our weaknesses. We shouldn't be ashamed to share our sin with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Because when we do, we expose them, we bring them into the light, and we nail them to the cross that Jesus has dealt with. We nail our sin to the cross. We nail our shame. We nail everything that we, are, no, that, that we regret. We nail that to the cross and let Jesus deal with it. Jesus has, has told us to expect hardship and persecution because they hated Jesus first. Because they hated the fact that he came with a message of redemption. But because of that, he had to illuminate their sin. And that's why people are going to hate us. So how do we get through it? As Christians, what are we meant to do in order to live a life for God without feeling discouraged or downtrodden? Because in here, it's awesome. We, can, we come together, share in fellowship. We can praise God together. But as soon as we step outside, we go back to school, go back to our workplaces, go back to our unis. Sometimes when we share our faith, like we've been saying this the whole night, that, that people are not going to be a fan of that. So how do we live a life out there in the world and still feel encouraged? How do we live a life for God without just feeling discouraged every time we share our faith? Well, the third part of the game plan that Jesus tells us tonight in this passage is he tells us exactly how we can win. Number three, how do we win? See, a coach isn't judged by their ability just to notify what, what's going to happen and then tell us why it's going to happen. No, no, no. A coach is judged on how well they can win matches. You need to know what you're playing. You need to know why you're playing it. And then you need to work out, well, how, you can, how can you actually win? And as coaches, you rock up to a game and you know exactly what tactics you're going to do. You know exactly who is going to play on what opponent, who, when you're going to take them off the field, when you're going to put them on the field. As a teacher, I walk into my room every single lesson and know exactly how I'm going to teach it, how I'm going to explain it to this student, and how I'm going to explain it differently to that student. You see, we need to be prepared like that. And likewise, Jesus explains the tactics that we should use to live a life in this world. More than that, he provides us with an extra player that will guide us through this life. John 16, 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, here Jesus is explaining to his followers that there's something else coming. That yes, he's about to get arrested. He will die. He will rise again and he will ascend to heaven. But when he does, he is sending something better. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he is sending his spirit. And he reveals this in verse 13 of chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will speak. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. See, Jesus here is outlining to his followers that when he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Not only to help us, not only to, to help his disciples, but more than that, to guide them. And we know this is fulfilled at the day of Pentecost. Crazy things happen. People start speaking in different languages. And, and his believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And likewise, we today 
are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a complete game changer. The Holy Spirit does not just lie dormant in you. It's not just there inactive in your life, but rather, as verse 13 suggests, it acts only with the authority and power of God. The Spirit will speak only what He hears from God, meaning that we have the Spirit of God in us. God is literally speaking to us through His Spirit. I'm not sure, if, have you ever thought about that? Have you actually ever stopped to think about what that means for your life? What that means for His church? The Creator God is working powerfully in you and powerfully through you. And it's not just lying dormant, rather it's active. The Spirit convicts us of our sin so that we can expose it. But more than that, it leads us into the truth. You know, as Christians, we don't have control of the Spirit. And thank goodness for that, because we'd probably stuff that up too. But what we do have control of is our ability to surrender to it. Our willingness to be molded like Christ, as the Spirit convicts us to be more and more like Him. Our willingness to be molded to Christ despite persecution, despite illness, despite anything else. We have the Spirit that will guide us through life. And as Christians, we need to constantly assess if we are actively listening to the Spirit. If we're actively listening, but then acting upon what the Spirit says to us. You see, we otherwise, if we don't do that, we're just like everyone else in the world walking around with no purpose. Because the Spirit lives in us, the Spirit of God, and it molds us like Christ every single day. You see, Jesus warns that we will face persecution. Why? Because, that we, because we are a Christian. Because we profess that we believe in Jesus Christ, he, he is warning us that we are going to face persecution. But when we do, He commands us to lean into His Spirit. Romans 8.11 And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in, who, who lives in you. I'll say that last bit again. Because of His Spirit who lives in you. Because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, because He lived the perfect life, a life that deserved much more than He got, he was whipped. He was spat on as he carried his cross up to the hill. He was nailed to the cross. And because of the fact that he died, but more importantly that he rose again, we can be assured of a hope for eternity. We know that that is coming for us. We know that there is heaven waiting to be a perfect relationship with God where there's no weeping, mourning, sickness or death. For the old things have passed away. We know there's perfection waiting for us. But right now, the Holy Spirit means that we have God working in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The same Spirit that raised Him from the dead is literally living in us. 
And it guides our path no matter what people say about us or no matter what people do in our world, it always guides us to truth. And I don't, I don't know exactly what everyone is going through right now. I don't know what you're facing when you, when you leave this, this church, what you'll go back to on Monday, what's coming in the weeks to come. But I do know that we have a God who loves us and wants to walk with us. And when he does, when he does walk with us and when we lean into that and his spirit, it can change everything. When we shift our perspective from just thinking about us and, and turn to God in every single situation by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know that the victory has already been won. Despite the unexpectedness of this world, despite what you may be facing, despite what people will say, the victory has already been won. And all we need to do is to follow him into eternity. And that's the promise we have from Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for, for your son. We thank you that, that he lived a perfect life. He showed us how, how to live in this world. Father, we, we thank you that, that he died in our place. We can't fathom what he was going through, what you were going through when Jesus died on that cross. But Lord, you raised him from the dead. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that ascended Jesus into heaven is living in us. And Father, as Christians, as, as a community of, of Christian believers right here, right now, may we lean into your spirit despite what we may face, despite the hurdles in our life, May we know that the power of you is living in us. And because of that, you will guide us every single step of our life. And Father, may we be recognized as people who want to seek you and follow you in everything we do. So that in everything, people may see us but glorify you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.